All right, as we come to this portion of our gathering where we spend time in God's Word, I'm going to encourage you to turn in your copy of the Bible to the book of Galatians. Yes, surprise, surprise, we are not in Hebrews at this moment. We are in the middle of, well, the beginning of a a time of Christmas remembrance, of remembering the Christ child and the miracle of Christmas. And so we're going to be looking at various passages of the text to capture this moment, to look at the the stupendous uh, gift of what Jesus has done through coming for us at Christmas. And hopefully this will be a time as we celebrate this season to make the Christmas gift even more meaningful in your life. And and that may be very difficult because I know that Jesus has worked wonders in many of your lives. And, and you could say, how could you build and make that even better? I can't. But the Bible can just amplify it and make it clearer in our life. And we can all celebrate that together. I am thankful that we have copies of the Bible available. If you don't have a copy, please, uh, you can use one of our pew Bibles that's in front of you. We're going to be on page 1033. We're going to be using the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, we use that because we believe it is both readable and faithful to the text. And as we say most weeks, if you do not have a Bible, we want to gift you one and to put it in your hands. Ultimately, we want to get it in your heart, but we know that it starts with getting in your hands. So you can take that. That's not just for decoration. That's just not for a pew filler. That is for you. If you would like a Bible, it's yours. But it will be on the screen behind me. And we're going to look at the significance of this moment that is captured in just a powerful way in two verses. Are you ready? Stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word. It says in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, it says this, When the time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let us pray. Lord God, today we've read small, small sentences that have incredible significance. And I pray that you would use your word as only you can to speak to our hearts, to judge the thoughts and and the, and the, and the meaning and and the intent of man to pierce deep down and to be living active and effective in our life i pray you holy spirit would help us to all learn together as we are one flock under one great shepherd and we're all learning to follow you together and lord in this time i pray that the church would be edified and that we'd be sanctified but more than anything god i pray As you are worthy, you would be glorified. Use this time for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when we spend time in the text, we're always doing so with a goal. When we open the Bible, we we always have an intent upon our life, or, or at least we should. 
And I know that's always a big deal when a preacher or someone says we should do this because sometimes we might want to argue, well, why should I do this? Why should that be the case? Uh, you may think I should, but I don't think I would. And so we need to look at why this is absolutely valuable, why this is important. And when we spend time in the Bible, we, first of all, need to have a sense of humility and gratefulness for this book. This treasure, this gift. We need to see what it says, but we need to remember how incredibly awesome it is that we, you and I, have access to a Bible. That is huge. For something that's so easy, we know in, in the world it's like the best-selling book and, and it still in, it holds that area. But do you realize that we, 2,000 years after the first church, we have a treasure that the early church did not have as easily accessible? The early church having the scrolls of the Old Testament text would have been excruciatingly difficult to obtain because it required a lot of resources, a lot of wealth to, for someone to transcribe those, for someone to have those available. That's why they would gather in, around the synagogues in these places where the, the text was already available so they could go and read it for themselves. Not everybody just said, oh, let me pull out my pocket phone and figure out which version I want to read and, and, and have it. That, that wasn't it. And they had to go to where it is. And as the Bible was completed near the end of the first century, and we have all 66 letters, when we open this, we need to understand what a treasure it is that we as a church 2,000 years later can just open up and have the complete bible in front of us whether in print or digitally to have that access is incredible but it's not enough just to have the access we've got to see what it says we've got to spend time and read and see what the word says and in these two sentences we're going to see such incredible potential actually it's only one sentence in this in this version it's just a run-on sentence uh thank you apostle paul but we're going to see what it says Secondly, we need to look and see what it means. We may read through this and think, okay, time come to completion. God sent His Son. It's Christmas. Okay, I get that. And move on. But there's such an incredibly profound meaning in this moment that we dare not miss. We need to see why Paul is addressing the churches of Galatia in this way. This letter was considered to be a circuit letter written to a region of, of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. To where these were not one city, but a multiple area of, of multiple belief systems. And these churches were planted in these small towns. And Paul is writing because they have experienced a disturbance in, in their way of faith by those that say, no, that, this isn't the gospel. You need to do this and this and this and this in order to have the complete gospel. And it really messes things up. And Paul writes to them and says, no, no, this is the fullness you have because of this extraordinary moment of Jesus coming to save us. And so we're going to look and see what that means. And then hopefully we'll see how this applies in our life as we look at the implications to where you and I find ourselves today. The meaning will never change for any of us. The meaning will always be what the Bible means. But the application to you and I, where we are in our walk, it, it might look a little different. It might look a little different from home to home, workplace to workplace. But we need to see how it applies. And then lastly, we need to respond with, will I trust what God is saying? 
As we look at the book of Galatia, we see it's one of the earliest books of the New Testament that was written. Perhaps James being the earliest book of all of them in the New Testament that was written. But this one, somewhere between A.D. 52 and 53, or maybe possibly A.D. 56, does the Apostle Paul write to these churches in Asia Minor in the region of Galatia. A region that had some pockets of, of Jewish believers who had come to Christ. Some of them were not believers in Christ. But there were some populations there. But also it was a very dynamic Roman population, very pagan population. And Paul is writing so they get a clear understanding of how potent that the single gospel is and that there is no other gospel besides the one that comes through Jesus Christ alone. And so when Paul is writing, he's he's letting them know that if you have Jesus, you have everything. And do not miss the significance of this moment that Jesus has provided in His coming. All of us are a culmination, if we will, of a bunch of significant moments. Would you agree with that? Like, there are certain moments in history, some things that even happened before you were born, that have played a role in how you are educated, how you are brought up, what traditions you hold. There are certain moments in history that, that we weren't even alive to experience, but yet they have played a role in who we are. Then he goes, I was asking the children, you know, uh, and talking about what nation we lived in. And I said, America, and I was corrected. And I was thankful for that. That's the United States of America. We don't, we don't just call it just the continent. It's the United States. There are moments in, in history that I am a United States citizen because of things that happened decades before I ever was born. And because of that, I, I get to experience certain blessings as a citizen of this land due to moments that happened before me. But I also have moments that have happened in my lifetime that have shaped the way I think of things. Moments of, of where I went to school, uh, who my family was, moments that happened in history before my eyes that, that made me really wrestle with some significant thoughts. I, I, I had a moment where I committed my vows to a woman who walked down the aisle and was willing to say yes to me. That changed some things. That was pretty huge. Because I definitely married out of my league. I am willing to say that. It makes me question her judgment now and then, but I married out of my league. But these moments, they define you. Whenever you have a child, that's a moment that defines you. I, I know I've shared these things before, and these are not incredibly mind-blowing clever thought processes or ideas we're all defined by them but there is a moment in history it is the defining moment of all history that changed everything and it is miraculous and it's during this season we call christmas and here's the grand thing of it at the very right time god sent his son jesus to earth and that changes everything if we were going to wrap this up in anything, Jesus was sent at just the right time. That moment defines everything, and that moment is miraculous. And I want to show you just from the text when it says the completion, the fullness had arrived, what that means for us. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, a church that's struggling to, to really comprehend the gospel and other people are trying to lead them away and say, you got to add these things to the message. And Paul starts out his letter and he says, look, 
If someone comes to you and they deliver to you another gospel other than what was preached, other than what brought you to Christ, let them be accursed. We read that and we may just pass over and think, wow, that's kind of brutal. No, Paul is saying they are bringing damnation upon themselves for trying to preach another gospel. That's how big that is. And he goes on to say, let let me just put it this way. Even if an angel, if an angelic being comes into your midst and starts preaching another gospel saying, you must do this instead of what the gospel has declared, he is accursed. So what Paul is writing is it's a pretty big deal for us that, that we don't want to miss out on this because we want to make sure that what we're communicating with others is the purity and the simplicity and the beauty and the significance of this gift of Jesus. And Paul writing about what it means to belong to Jesus says that this has happened not because you prayed the right prayers and Jesus came or not because you were doing good things and jesus came or because you were just really bad and jesus came it became because god had began a plan even before the foundation of the earth to redeem the world in his way in his manner in his miraculous moment and the arrival of jesus is at just the right time as we look at this i want to Lay out nine points. I know that seems like a lot. But we're going to see how the moment was miraculously, was miraculous, theologically, religiously, culturally, politically, divinely, humanly, righteously, redemptively, and salvifically. I know that last one's like a tongue tangler. It even makes you want to like build up saliva just saying it. But we're going to look at these and they're, they're really quick. You're like, yeah, right, preacher. I know you too well. But first, the miraculous moment was right theologically. Theology is the study of the nature of God and and what it means to believe in Him. That's what theology is. It's the study of the nature of God. What can be known about God and what does it mean to follow Him rightly? And this is, is showing us that this was the right moment theologically, that everything that had been going up preceding this the church of Galatia, they might have had some privileged folks that had the Old Testament. Some of the synagogues that were there, they might have had these 39 books of the Old Testament, these books of promise, these books of law, these books of prophecy, these books of wisdom, these books of history. And they were telling that God was going to send a deliverer, a redeemer, a Messiah, an anointed king, a holy priest, a great prophet who would bring about a new covenant. And everything that was going on in the Old Testament was leading up to this point. The promise of Abraham, it had been given. That God was going to bless all the nations of the world through the children of Abraham. The law of Moses, it had done its work to drive men to anticipate a redeemer because the law was incapable of being fully kept. It showed man their need for a Messiah, a deliverer. And over 300 prophecies throughout the Old Testament had been spoken and all of it was aiming towards this full moment. You see, Christmas, when we think of Christmas, we have a date set on our calendar and it always creeps up on us. We always think, wow, oh man, now we're only so many Fridays or so many Sundays or whatever till Christmas. 
But here's the thing about it. It's, it wasn't just some obscure moment in time that just happened. It wasn't like Jesus went, bloop, I guess I'll show up now. Now, everything theologically, everything about God making Himself known, what we can know about Him and believe and trust in Him, it was com- culminating in this miraculous moment. And so everything was perfect theologically. God had been driving people to Himself. In the eternal counsel of God, before the creation or foundation of the world, everything was aiming towards this moment. This is why it's the completion and the fullness of time. It's right, and the miraculous moment was right religiously as well. You see, the paganism of ancient Rome, the idolatry that pervaded the Roman Empire, it had taken the culture of Jesus' day to new lows. I mean, hedonism was all over the place. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you feel. And and it was lawlessness. Even though there was law, there was lawlessness. But there was also a lot of emptiness. Even in the middle of being able to pursue almost every known pleasure to man or what is thought to be a pleasure to man. Your definition of that and my definition of me be completely different. But all of them were showing that these were empty. These were dead. These philosophies were powerless to change men's life. No matter how intellectual they sounded, no matter how spiritual they sounded, or how devout they sounded, they were powerless to change men's life. And spiritual hunger was not just evident among the Roman people, it was evident among the Jewish people. They were longing for a Messiah to come. Though they didn't realize what was coming or who was coming at the time, but a great desperate expectation had dominated the landscape all over the world. The Jewish people, they were at this point just perfect for for God to send His Son. You see, the Jewish people had a history of returning over and over again to idolatry in the Old Testament. Or even maybe not specifically idolatry, but a form of it called syncretism. We will worship the Lord, but why not add a little worship of Baal? A little worship of Moloch? A little worship of Astra. Why not add these other little deities in? It's not going to hurt anybody. Why can't I do what I want? And after a series of God sending judges and kings and priests and prophets to warn them and, and lead them in certain times, God ultimately led them into a time of exile. But during that time of exile, they repented. It was during that time you had a group developed called the Pharisees who were determined to to never let the nation be led towards idolatry again. Now, they ultimately spiraled out and became what we look at Pharisees as a negative word. But the original goal was, let us return to the Lord for He will return to us in His time and His way. And here in this moment, when not only the pagan world and the philosophical world, but also the religious world, all these worldviews, these religions, there was the right moment for Jesus to arrive, the world being hungry. It was the right moment culturally. Because of the Roman uh, structure, the Roman Empire, because of Alexander the Great, Conquering the known world even centuries before, the Greek language had become common and and practically universal. There was almost a one language system that everybody pretty much knew throughout the world, at least a little bit. And this allowed for the advanced spread of the gospel more easily. It was a time culturally where where this was able to be accomplished. Christians were able to propel the gospel 
the first several centuries because there was a common language. It was there. And, and it was just the right moment where the gospel could easily spread. It was the right moment politically. Because of Pax Romana, there was a Roman peace that prevailed that, that enabled protectorates in certain cities so you could travel a little more freely knowing that there was at least some Roman civilization for the most part. You could also keep your commerce going from, from region to region. You could travel easily to maneuver roads. It helped the church to spread in unique, unique ways. The time was right politically for the gospel to spread throughout the world in a very fast, advanced way. You see all this coming together? All of this being knit together? It's, it's pretty profound. But here's the thing. God didn't just like look over his corner one day and be like, Oh, look, look there. Huh. Hey, son, get ready. That wasn't what he did. It was set before the foundation of the world. God wasn't just waiting for this to happen and saying, Well, if the stars align. No, God was the one that was orchestrating all of this. All of this was God orchestrating. All of this magnifying His sovereignty. All of this showing that this wasn't just a a pop-in visit. This was an appointment. This was something that God had designed and ordained. And just as He ordained this first coming, we who live today should be resting assured at the same time prepared to say the same one that said He would come the first time is the same one that says, yes, He will come again quickly. And if He orchestrated everything the first time, we can be sure no matter what life is bringing us, He will orchestrate everything for the second time. One pastor a couple hundred years ago said this, The birth of Jesus is the grandest light of history. The sun in the heavens of all time. It is the pole star of human destiny. The hinge of chronology. The meeting place of the waters of the past and the future. Why did it happen just at that moment? Assuredly, it was so predicted. There were prophecies, many which pointed exactly to that hour. He came at the hour that God Himself had determined the infinite lord appoints the date of every event all times are in his infinite hand there are no loose threads in the providence of god no stitches are ever dropped no events are left to chance the great clock of the universe keeps very good time and the whole machinery of god's providence moves with unerring punctuality It was expected to be expected that the greatest of all events should be the most accurately and wisely timed. And so it was because God willed it to be when and where it was. And that will is to us the ultimate reason this is the completion of time. But here's the thing. That moment didn't just come because of the right timing. It also required the right talent. It was not just because of the right timing. It requires the right talent. The moment required someone to make the cut, to be able to do what the Bible says Jesus came to do. Which if we look at verse 5, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption 
as sons. That is the goal. And you don't just walk into an adoption agency and be like, hey, I want a kid. That doesn't happen that way. You don't walk into foster care or, or, or child protective services and say, hey, I want to be a foster parent. They're going to ask for certain things. What is your home like? Are you married? Do you have an income? They're going to go through certain things to see if you are not just there at the right time. You may, they may have tons of people on a list, but they got to make sure that they're not just giving to you because you came at the right time. You got to be the right talent. You got to have some qualifications in your life to make the cut, to adopt, to help a child in need. And so the question comes up, who in the world would have the talent to pay the price for sinners to be saved? That question points to one possible person in all of history, Jesus Christ. And this is where we see the moment not only was set up and orchestrated. Sorry, that came a little loose. This was not just orchestrated in the timely fashion, but it's in the moment of who arrived. Not just when. Who. What are these qualifications? We see the miraculous moment was right because it was divinely right. The Bible says here, God sent His Son. Not He didn't send random Joe. He didn't send cousin Bobby Sue. He sent his son. He didn't send some odd stranger. He sent his son. This little phrase, his son, says that this Jesus is not just some random guy in a bathrobe wandering around the desert. He is the divine son of God. Paul would put this way into the Colossians, a town in the Galatian area. He's saying the image of the invisible God. This is who you see when you look at Jesus. Jesus is not just some surrogate that we can equate to being divine. No, He is divine. He is in the word of Philippians 2.6. In the form of God. You see, God didn't create His Son. He created the flesh that His Son would dwell in through the Virgin Mary. But God didn't create His Son. His Son has always existed. God didn't create His Son. God sent His eternal Son. The one who has always been, the one who is, and the one who always will be. This is one of the great qualifications. I mean, the one who is preexistent, the one who was lived through the ages and will always live, the one who is fully divine, the one who is infinite, the one who can bear the infinite wrath of God and the burden of adoption for the redeemed His people. It's the right moment because it's the right talent. It's the right person. The moment was right humanly. Not only God sent His Son, Paul tells us that He was born of a woman. The Son didn't come out of heaven and saying, I'm eternal being and I am not like you. I will not even endure the things that you endure. I have nothing to do with you. But no, He was born of a woman. He took on flesh. He had to live with our burdens. He had to eat our meals. He had to sleep our sleep. He had to breathe our air. In that moment, He was not only fully God, but He's also fully man. This is why you see the potential that you see in in Philippians 2 when it says that, that Jesus, who existed in the form of God, He did not consider equality with God as something to be used for His own advantage. But He emptied Himself. He assumed the form of a slave and he took on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, that when we're looking at Jesus, we're talking about one who was born and had to go through the rigors of life as we did. Why is that necessary? We talked about this a few weeks ago. 
God sent someone that was us to represent us. He had to be like us to represent us. I shared a few weeks ago, you know, whenever we send out ambassadors to different parts of the world, you know one of the main qualifications they're going to look at? If they're a U.S. citizen, that's like a requirement for a U.S. ambassador because they're going to have to represent the United States in another place. It's a requirement they be like one of us. They be one of our people. They be under our laws, under our stipulations, because that's who is going to hold that ability to represent us. In the same way, God fulfilling all this, He could have just snapped His fingers and says, make it so, but instead, to make sure that the qualifications were just utterly unique, He says, I'm going to use one of them, even though He is also me, to fully represent them. To be their full mediator. They're one who walks the wonders of redemption. We see this incredible, beautiful moment coming together in the birth of Jesus. Dingy manger, soiled swaddling clothes, poor peasant. Luther, Martin Luther, one of the reformers said of Christianity, When you think of it, it does not begin at the top as all other religions do. It begins at the bottom. For in Christianity, you must run directly to the manger and the mother's womb. You must embrace an infant virgin child in your arms. You must look at him, born, being nursed, growing up, going about in human society, teaching, dying, rising again, ascending above all the heavens and having authority over all things. This is what we talk about with Christianity, that not only was it the right timing, it was the right talent in that moment. Jesus came fully divine and fully human. It was the right moment miraculously because it was the right moment righteously. Not only was He born of a woman, but Paul says He was born under the law. He was born according to the law. He was born under the Jewish regulations of the fulfilling the law. See, Jesus was... Born not simply a man, but more specifically a Jewish man who grew up in a Jewish home, attending a Jewish synagogue, living in a Jewish culture, abiding by Jewish law. He perfected all of it. All the demands of the law of God. And He did so righteously. He did so sinlessly. He did so completely. If Jesus had not been righteous... He would not be the one to redeem the unrighteous. It would be utterly impossible. But He came born under a woman, born born of a woman and born under the law so that He might redeem those born of women and under the curse of the law. He is able to break it. He is able to overcome it. He is able to be the just and the justifier of all who come to Him in faith. The moment was miraculous and right redemptively as well. There's a great redemption in the Christmas message. We sometimes think God came, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, beautiful, beautiful songs, beautiful moment in history. But when we think about it, it's not just the manger and the swaddling clothes and the lowly estate at which Jesus came that is so redemptive. It's, it's what He came to do. It says in verse 5 that Jesus came at just the right time, the completion, 
the moment that was miraculous. Why? To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption. A redemptive adoption. You see, adoption, some of you have experienced what that looks like. You've walked through that. But it requires someone who, first of all, has the right resolve. There's a resoluteness to adoption to say, I'm going to take a child who is not mine and and adopt them. And and you don't adopt a child accidentally. You you must do it purposefully. You must choose to do this. You must choose to, 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 to adopt them and to redeem them and bring them into your home and take them by your name. This is what the Lord has done. This is what He set His intent to do even before the foundation of the world. This is what that moment is all about. As a parent would take the initiative to seek out and adopt a child so that it, it would be His. It would be theirs as parents. This is what God does. It was His pleasure and His will before the creation of the world to, to show His affections to us, to shower them upon us, to redeem us. But there is a really big difference. Even if you've gone through the process of adoption, even if you've been adopted, there is a really vastly big difference to our defined contemporary version of adoption and the biblical story of adoption. You see, when earthly adoption is there, and I'm not trying to overshadow or make it less than it is, but we, we glamorize it. We're like, wow, what wonderful parents. Wow, what an incredible kid. Wow, I can't believe you went there to get that kid. All these kind of things. We, we get really caught up in the sweet and preciousness of it, and, and we see these innocent children, and, and, and we see these videos, and I will remember you. You know, that kind of thing. We do all that, and we get caught up in that moment. But when you look at Ephesians 2, if you look at the nitty-gritty of what it means that Jesus adopted us, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses. We were children under wrath. We were people uh, fraternizing with the enemy. We were under a ruler that was not the Lord. We were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Russell Moore, who is the director of our Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission through the SBC, He's an adoptive parent and he, and he was trying to compare this and show what this gospel adoption really means. And he says, here's how you, you set it apart from our contemporary view of adoption. Imagine for a moment that you're going to adopt a child. And as you meet with a social worker in the last stage of the process, you are told that this is a 12-year-old that has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in burning things, attempting repeatedly to skin animals alive. He acts out sometimes physically. The social worker says, although she really doesn't fill you in on what that means. She continues with the little family history. The boy's father and grandfather and great-grandfather and great-great-grandfathers all had histories of violence ranging from spousal abuse to serial murder. Each of them ended their, their own lives. Think for a minute, would you seriously look at this and say, I want that child? And if you did adopt that child, wouldn't you kind of walk, walk, look with your eyes, looking behind your back, seeing if he takes the, the knife off the kitchen table? Would you leave the room as you watch TV with your, with your daughter with the lights out? But here's the identity of the this potentially problematic 12-year-old. He's you. 
He's me. That's who Ephesians 2 says we were. It's who he says we are. Outside of Christ. That's what the gospel is telling us about this miraculous moment. This is what redemption was for you and I. That God did this with great resolve and unreservedly. He redeemed us. And I praise God there was nothing in us to draw us to Him. Otherwise, we'd be like, yeah, I'm a cute guy. I'm a cute kid. Yeah, I've got all this story. It's glamour on my part. Look at me, me, me. I would make it about me. And we still are tempted to do that. But the gospel says, no, you cannot make it about you. But God still cares for you. God redeems you. And He did it at just the right moment. A miraculous moment. Redemptively. And a miraculous moment salvifically if we are adopted as sons adopted as bearers of the image and identity of christ think about what that means you and i when we come to christ because of that moment because of that christmas moment because of that miraculous moment that at just the right time god sent his son to redeem us and adopt us think about what that means salvifically there is a change in our life when we come to Jesus. When we're adopted by Jesus, we are saved. There is salvation. There is a new person. Because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did, we now have a new identity before God. We have a new identity. We're, we're, we're part of His family. We experience unity with Him. Now that we have a new identity before God, we have get to enjoy a new intimacy with God. We get to approach Him. I said earlier, you know, it's such a great treasure that we have this Word and we can open it and it, it's accessible to us. And, and, and most of the time, you can get it for free online or someone will get it to give it to you for free. You're not having to spend years and years of wages just to have one book of the Bible. You can have it all. That's a privilege. But do you know what it is to experience intimacy with the living God? That you and I as believers, as children living on the other side of Christmas, we get to experience an intimacy and approachingness of God like Moses did. Moses was one of the only people that ever got to get near to the very presence of God, that he was considered a friend with God, and that he conversed with God. But we as children on the other side of the cross that have come to the Lord, we're adopted. He says, come my child and be captivated by me. You who were once imprisoned by sin, now experience what it means to be captivated by my love. Experience that miraculous moment. Experience it. There's a story in history about a man named John Wesley. If any of you grew up in the Methodist background or, or Wesleyan, you, you might know who John Wesley is. Um, John Wesley was a clergyman and a very highly educated one. He uh, was an honor graduate from Oxford for University and he or, was ordained as a clergyman in the Church of England. And he was very orthodox, very, you know, strong and conservative in his theology. He, he lived a life of active, practical good works. 
He was known to regularly visit the inmates in prisons and the workhouses in London and help distribute food and, and clothing to slum children and orphans. He even studied the Bible diligently and attended numerous Sunday services as well as various other services during the week. He was a person that gave generously to offerings to the church and alms to the poor. He prayed and fasted and lived an exemplary moral life. He even would cross the sea and and spent years as a missionary to the Native Americans in what was the British colony of Georgia. Yet upon returning to England, he confessed in his journal, I, who went to America to convert others, was never myself converted to God. And later reflecting on his pre-conversion condition, he says, I had even the faith of a servant, but I had not yet known what it was to be a son. We must understand the miraculous moment that affords us that privilege to not just be called a servant of Jesus, but a son of the King, a daughter of God, adopted, redeemed, not based on anything within us, but because God in His His knowledge orchestrated everything together for this perfect miraculous moment and that it was just the right timing and he had the perfect right talent in his son and he said i am making this fullness of time moment come to light and you will get to celebrate it years and years as this holiday called christmas but don't let that moment pass you by don't miss the great significance of this, that you have this new identity with God, this new intimacy with God, this inheritance from God that, that He is eternal and will never leave you or forsake you, that He has adopted you into a family fellowship called the church of brothers and sisters. You're not alone. And, and he, He's given you a future that will draw us to Him. But this all begs the question to us right here in this moment. What? does that miraculous moment mean for you and I personally? What does it mean for you and I personally? Have you come to this place where you have recognized who Jesus is and what Jesus has done so that you may be adopted by His grace alone, by His coming, that you may be welcomed in? Have you come to that place where you have bent the knee and said, Lord, I'm not worthy to be adopted, but thank you. Thank you for saying, count me. Count him. What does it mean for you and I personally? If this is personal, we will understand what it means to know the pleasures and the joys of being identified with God, intimacy with God, inheritance from God as sons and and daughters. That's what this moment is meant to mean for us personally and if you have never responded to the great news that's in the gospel that there is a god who is holy and righteous and all he does and he sees all of our sinfulness and fallenness and rebellion and all that pre-adoptive state and he says i still love you and i sent jesus at just the right time for you so that you may personally come and experience that adoption and eternal inheritance and a life transformation if you've never done that this should mean something for you personally to respond and if you have done it it should mean everything that you never forget but what does this moment also mean for us not only personally but what does it mean for you and i publicly see the faith that we have is is very personal no doubt it's it's something that we're going to treasure within us we're to hide god's word in our heart that we may not sin against him 
But it's also not to be something that means something that's for us personally, but it means something for us publicly. That in this season where we are gung-ho and we are all in on making a world of merriment and joy with lights and candles and wreaths and red-striped things and white-striped things and lights and everything, we're really adamant about this is a publicly worth celebrating holiday. And I agree, it's, it's worth observing. It's worth remembering that Jesus came. But it's also worth sharing publicly why He came. That God was orchestrating everything together that we might know Him more theologically. There are people in your life that need to know God correctly. It was, it was God working everything together religiously. There are people that are looking for all kinds of answers and they're coming up empty with, with worldviews and philosophies that are leaving them empty and powerless. And they need to know what Jesus does to answer those deep questions. They need to know about what God did culturally, that He expands across any native tongue, any ethnic barrier, so that we may know Him, and that we live in such a time as this. We have such religious liberty in our nation as this to make this known still. It's the right time politically. We still have freedom of religion. There are parts of the world that don't. That Jesus is still divinely the Son of God. That Jesus is still the one that was sent to, to be like us, to die for us, and to rise again as one of us. That He's the right one righteously. And that all attempts for you to live out the requirements on your own are brutal. You, you and I, we're incapable of doing that. But He isn't. It means that we need to talk about what it looks like for God to redeem the lost and to live that out with our life. That there is no one beyond the salvation hope of Jesus. And when salvation comes, let us celebrate ongoing and ongoing. We are children of the King because just the right moment, God sent His Son for you and I. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, I thank you for this opportunity that we've been afforded to worship you and make much of you. And and as we close this worship gathering, singing songs of merriment and joy and wonder and response and worship, God, I pray that would be the, the true action of our heart, that we would not try to put on any disguise or any front, but in this moment, we would respond to you who has given us so graciously much. May this moment draw people to you that need to be drawn to you. May it restore disciples in their walk with you as they need to be restored. May it refresh missionaries as we're preparing to go out to the corners of this earth that you have placed us in so that you might be made known. May it renew us as disciples to spend time saying, I want to grow in my knowledge of the one who loves me so, so that I may make him known to those who need his love so dearly. Lord Jesus, have your way in this time. We love you. Thank you for first loving us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray this prayer. Amen. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Our musicians are going to make their way forward and they're going to play as they're doing already, and that's good. But this time we have each weekend, it can easily be passed over and think that doesn't apply to me. 
But it's a chance for you to respond. And, and certainly you don't have to come up an aisle and talk to a pastor to make it official that you responded with the Lord. But there are sometimes those moments where the Holy Spirit is impressing upon your life that you need to take not only a personal step, but a public step in, in, in where you are with the Lord. And today, if, if you are in need of peace and hope with God, if you are in need of that adoption and, and, and the need to be saved by a God that loves you so, the only one who can, it would be my honor to help you walk through that. And, and to if the Lord is impressing on your heart, I, I would never want to turn you away if that's what He's leading you to do. So I'm going to be at the front should you need counsel. Maybe that counsel is not for salvation. Maybe you already know. Say, Pastor, I already know I'm a child of God, but there is something I need help with. There's a question I have. There's a step I need to take. You may not even know what it is yet. But I'll be up here at the front should you need someone to talk to. But during this time, the most important thing is your response to the Lord who works among us. Whether it would be where you're sitting or up here. And if I can be of help, I make myself available.